So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to press go live, which means people are going to hear me, but they can't hear or see you yet. Um, so I'm just going to hold, do a holding pattern. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, uh, we're, we're, we're nearly there. I'm just doing some tech fixes, everyone. Thanks for your patience. Um, Skype's updated uh, and it's broken, so uh, which isn't a problem for the stream, but... Uh, Ivana is on the other side, and it would be quite good if she could see the screen too, which is why this is happening. So if you bear with us just a little tick. Um, there we are. You can see that. Let's see. Proof Ivana is there. I'm going to just get this slide up and then press this button here. Uh, there we are. So you can see us. Hello, everyone. Yes, you can see and you can hear me as well. Um, in fact, you can hear Ivana too. Uh, and in fact, you can see her. It's just that we're trying to fix the tech. If you bear with us. Very briefly. Hello, everyone. Ivana's saying hello. See, Ivana's here. It's just that it always goes... Um, wait a minute. I'm going to do just that, actually. Do, do, do. Um, if you bear with us just for another two minutes, everyone. So sorry for the delay. Um, it might be... If, if we're not running in a, in a minute and a half, then we'll we'll do it and we'll we'll make it work. Uh, once you've got uh, YouTube running, Ivana, let me know and we'll, we'll do it that way. You just have to deal with the 30-second delay. Um, yeah, YouTube's running on my end. Excellent, right. Which means you probably can see... You can probably see the title card, right, Ivana? I can't. Excellent. Which means, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this thing. We're flying blind a little bit, but um, it's gonna be okay because it's gonna be a bit more like. Uh, here we go. It's fine. We're we're running basically smoothly. <laughs> oh, anyway, right. I'm gonna get rid of that. And what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna start first of all. So Ivana's here. We can all see Ivana. Hello. We're wa I'm waving. Uh, Ivana's sort of sat on the other side. It's a little bit sort of um, stunted. I'm so sorry, Ivana. We'll, we'll I'll work out what the problem is, but it'll be fine because we're talking about a subject which is very close to my heart, um, which is slab track. Which we've been waiting for the slab track episode for a very long time. People are very excited about the slab track episode because lots of people don't really know what it is. Um, so uh, so without further ado. Uh, oh, we didn't. Also, with our distractions, we didn't run through the um, the slides to let you see what's happening. But first, first of all, we're going to do the news, which has become a somewhat of a tradition on Real Matters. So sit sit tight for a moment while I make sure I'm showing the right thing here. Uh, yes, uh, I'm going to whiz back to uh, this button and press this button. Right, the first news item is that Crossrail has moved a train. It's they're, they're putting out in the news. They're talking about the fact that they've been running a train through into the tunnel section. Uh, there it is people on people can currently see uh, a train moving whizzing through the tunnel uh, going past various stations and looking very exciting um uh it's currently on some slab track which is nice um although a, a mixture of different designs i'm not sure if poor have actually put any slab track in um in crossrail do you have do you, do you know if you have any crossrail slab track i think a lot of it's um they've used slightly different uh, designs i think it's not on Crossrail, but we do have our slab track installed on a few projects uh, in the UK. You definitely but do. But not on that particular project. So I'm going to pop up one of the. So in a minute, I'm going to pop up a picture of one of the um, of one of the sites that you've uh, that you've got some poor installed at, which is the first one that I was one of the earlier installations that I knew of uh, with poor. Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. The next news item, there's not really much to say about that. The next news item is that anger has worked again because uh, Perry Bar Station has been changed a little bit after the visualization that was put out by the council um, wasn't found to be very, uh, let's say, popular. Everyone remembers the shoebox from a previous Real Natter episode. Well, they've updated it. Um, 
and it's now they've changed the color so that it's rust colored uh but it's still the the the, the urban realm around it is not particularly good so that that's not great we're going to move we're going to move swiftly on um the williams review uh that, another news item the williams rail review uh is apparently less than six weeks away i'm doing rabbit ears because it's been less than six weeks away for about three years now um so yeah this the thing that's holding the whole rail industry up and stopping us being able to do anything because we don't really know what's next is continuing oh golly yeah so that that's that six weeks away we'll we'll see that's january so we'll see if we've got the williams review before review before january yeah i don't think so um and next, this graph, fantastic graph that was put out by um, uh, Carbon Brief, actually, is a summary of the uh, the outcomes of the uh, Climate Change Commission, the UK Climate Change Commission, talking about what the UK needs to do to um, continue to uh, match its its kind of carbon budgets we've got for the next you know, until for the period until 2050. We need to be at zero, uh, net zero by 2050, and in order to achieve this. Um, current projections of, of, of policy show that we're basically leveling off what we can do the hard stuff i.e housing and transport uh is all that's left uh we're decarbonizing energy generation at pretty high speed so we're stuck with the tricky stuff now and government if they uh, continue to implement the policy they've got now won't be doing enough so pretty radical things need to happen um yeah, so here we are. So you can see the the, the I've I've shown this graph before, this graphic, which is showing that sixty percent reduction in energy, fifty in industry, forty in business, kind of sixteen percent for residential, and only and transport is basically three percent. That's the reduction in CO two emissions from nineteen ninety. So um, the hard stuff is what's left to fix now: residential and transport emissions. Um, and the time for action was really about twenty years ago. Never mind. Uh, and if you want a summary of that new report, CCC report. Um, uh, the UK needing to cut emissions by 78% by thir- uh, 2035. Uh, there's an excellent uh, summary in Carbon Brief on the Carbon Brief uh, kind of news website. I'd recommend going there and having a look. What's next on the news? Oh, yes. Uh, so um, the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea have replaced their cycle lane uh, with a parking spot for three-part cars. Hooray! Uh, so that's very good, obviously, for no one. Um, a lot of controversy that's happened around this cycle lane. Anyway, there we are. I'll let you all chase up on that, but um, just thought I'd point it out. Right, we're now talking about slab track again. We're on to the interesting stuff. So uh, before we in- do the intro credits, um, I've got a picture on, on screen right now, Ivana, of... Actually, it's two pictures. One picture is just of some ballast. There, it's just, just some ballast. Um, and the next picture is a picture from Winchborough Tunnel uh, up in Scotland uh, on the approach to Winchborough Tunnel, which is which uses... And I, I really hope it is poor, not one of your competitors, but I think it is poor. Um, it's got that, the nice square. That is our slab track. That's it. It's got the nice square shear keys. Um, you can see a, a load of people all scrabbling around. It's got some nice Voslo clips and the and the kind of the nice angular shoulders that I'm familiar with. Um, and while I like this picture, uh, Ivana, I'm going to audio describe it, not just for your benefit, but also because we have people who listen to this in podcast only format, which is a bit strange, but they seem to like it. Um, this picture is great because on one side it's got the on, on the right hand side it's got the poor. The, the, the precast uh, slab units have been placed um, and uh, kind of being aligned. And on the other side is the old ballasted track. Um, so there's a nice kind of a nice comparison of the way the two different types of track system look. So on the left-hand side, you've got ballasted track. And on the right-hand side, you've got slab. Uh, what we, so it's slab track. But actually, the kind of the general catch-all term for the two different types of track form um, that I as an engineer use, one of them is ballasted track and the other is fixed track form, of which slab track is one. And tonight... Ivana's going to tell us all about slab track. That's the plan. Um, slightly, with we've for some reason because of my lack of um, professionalism, I've tied 
both of your hands behind your back to do this by the fact that you can't see what's actually on screen. I'm so sorry, Ivana, but I think we're going to manage. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, so without further ado, it only really remains for me to introduce tonight's Rail Natter. Uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. This is the bit where there's nice, there's nice Ivor the Engine music playing, and everyone can hear us chatting too. But the music's nice too. Um, there we are. What is slab track, and why is it good? And we're about um, to find out. We're about to find out in in moments. You can't hear the. This is the other frustrating thing: is you can't hear the audio coming through as well um, from the from the nice things we are. But while that fades away, the lovely Institute Two Two Five fades away. We have our first picture of very nice uh, canted slab track, poor slab track with the, you see those square shapes, they're filled in, nice sheer keys. And um, Ivana, so first of all, before we talk about slab track, tell us about poor and tell us about what you do within poor. Um, so poor is one of the uh, biggest Austrian construction companies. And uh, we're a general contractor and we build buildings and highways and roads and um, railway ballasted track as well as slab track, uh, stations, um, bridges, tunnels. So we really are a general contractor and um, POT is um, one of the oldest construction companies in Austria. We actually celebrated 150 years yes, of, of course, existence yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah which means that uh, we currently have a history of 151 years. And uh, our name comes from uh, one of our founders, which was Arthur Poor, And uh, he was an innovator in the area of concrete technology in his time. Um, one of the things that Pot has developed... Sorry? Yeah, yeah, no, I can, st I can still hear you. Yeah. Sorry, that's okay. fine. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that POT has developed over the years is this specialty in slab track. So not only did we install a lot of slab track, but we have uh, developed our own uh, slab track system. And we did that together with our client, Austrian Federal Railways. Um, our slab track has been in track now for over 30 years, since 1989 in the current form. Uh, and I have to say, it's been maintenance free since then. Really, it's still maintenance free. So this, which which like really touches upon, and we're, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this. It really touches upon one of the main reasons why slab track is very good, particularly for intensive railways. And it's that I mean, I was going to say it's almost maintenance free. Well, you're saying that it's been entirely maintenance free in the installation and. Uh, this depends a little bit on the slab track system that you use. So not every system with. It, it really depends on the system, but um, with our slab track system, I mean, during the development, this is something that um, uh, the developers were thinking about. How do we uh, develop a system that is going to be um, something that has longevity, uh, that is easy in to install? You know, they also considered the noise and vibration uh, aspect and how what solutions they can put into the system so that, you know, it can have very favorable properties and can be um, adjusted uh, to the project requirements. And um, 
you know, another thing is once it's in track, you know, how do you make sure that uh, it does not develop issues that it can actually um, have a very good track record uh, for the entire life cycle? So, you know, sometimes people say, well, what do you mean it's maintenance free? You know, it's like you can't have something that's maintenance free with trains running on it, you know, at sometimes very high speeds and, you know, many trains per day. Um, but uh, this is the track record that we have since 1989. And uh, of course, you know, depending on the radius and the alignment of the track, you may have tighter curves. So you may have to yeah. um, um, grind rails at some point, but that's something that you would have to do on ballasted track or uh, slab track. You know, you have to do inspections and those things, but the concrete part of our slab track has been maintenance free. Mm. Um, yeah, in terms of the sort of equivalent maintenance, you'd be expecting to tamp to, to go through with, well, the frequency of tamping. So for people who are listening to this or not or watching this who don't know what tamping is, tamping is where you you essentially have a machine that has a load of tines that dip into the into the ballasted track. Um, you essentially lift the track to its design position and consolidate the ballast to go underneath the sleepers to hold the track in its design position. Um, it for very intensively used railways, you have to do that multiple times a year. Um, so for a high speed railway, for example, like I don't know, high speed two. Uh, having ballasted track would have resulted in an enormous requirement for on-track machines, for sidings to put those machines, obviously the carbon costs of fueling and maintaining those machines, as well as getting them to site huge amounts of stuff that um, uh, ballasted track essentially just avoids, avoids all that. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to all that good stuff. Um, you mean ballastless track. Ballastless track. Thank you. Thank you for setting me right, Ivan. I'm gonna, yeah. I, that's not the first time I'm going to have done this tonight. I'm just getting ready for yeah. everyone. Ignore whether I'm saying ballasted or ballastless. I'm going to get it wrong lots because it's confusing to say them repeatedly. But use your imagination as to which one I mean. And Ivan, I'll keep me right anyway because um, yeah. I only loosely know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so, so I half interrupted you there, Ivana. So, so you work for POR um, and you work in the slab, track, uh, the slab track division of POR, uh, POR AG. Uh, yes. So um, I basically do marketing and uh, product uh, management for our slab track system, which means when there's a project uh, somewhere in the world, small, large project where slab track is being considered. Um, if there are any questions that the client may have, you know, I'll try to answer those questions and, you know, like share information on our experience or, you know, sometimes it's like, well, how do you install it? Sometimes it's, you know, like, what are the characteristics? Um, it's not always, my work is not always just with the client. Sometimes it's also with other companies, which could be mm -hmm. partner companies, whether, you know, we provide the system and they install it, whether we have some type of a joint venture or consortium and we're working together. So, um, you know, like whether it's a licensing agreement. So depending on the part of the world, you know, like uh, we have various approaches for what might be the best uh, scenario uh, for that project. Yeah, yeah. So definitely. this is the part. This is the part that I do. So I'll work with with the clients, with other companies, um, in the in the railway construction industry. And and so so we met at the Permanent Way Institution conference. Was it last year? Time has warped. It was la It was yes. last year, wasn't it? Yes. Frankly, twenty twenty has been a strange year. Um, and and yes. very very rapidly it occurred to me that you have an incredible. I mean, I'd, I, you've been working with this stuff for years, presumably, because you have an incredibly good knowledge of the system. And how it fits into the wider wider infrastructure, kind of uh, the wider railway infrastructure as well. So, um, which is why you're the perfect person to tell us about slab track tonight. You're, yeah. Um, 
uh, holding you're holding your own against lots of um, grey beardy men at, at the Permanent Way Institution conference. No, I'm being mean. It's not everyone at the, in the Permanent Way is old and grey and beardy. It's fine. Um, I shaved my beard so I can make that comment now with uh, with impunity, uh, which you can't see. Uh, although maybe you can see it on YouTube on your second uh, screen if that's working. Is that working? Is there a bit of a delay? Can you sort of vaguely see what's going on? <laughs> uh, there is a bit of a delay, but it's There's working. It's working. Okay, that's good. So roughly, you can sort of see what we're up to. Right. So we're going to go back to that picture. Um, so there, there we are, up in, in the top corner, which is good. So um, this picture, this is one, uh, it's a picture of an approach to a viaduct. We've got a nice, what appears to be a Tarmacadam subgrade with the the poor uh, slab sat on top, um, with some also with some different colored clips as well, which I presume is to do with longitudinal restraint on the bridge, but maybe that's another discussion. In any case, it's a very fetching picture. We've already had people in the comments going, oh, that looks nice. Um, but it's, Snapchat's not just about looking nice. Tell me about this picture. What, what, what does this picture tell us about? Um, I think this is an interesting picture because you see that you're approaching uh, from, um, from an open section, you're going onto a bridge and then into a tunnel. So mm. you've basically covered the three typical scenarios where you can have open section, bridge, and tunnel, uh, and you would have slab track. Um, there are different things that need to be taken into account, of course, uh, when installing slab track on these three different structures. Um, and there are, there's different reasoning why uh, the railway uh, infrastructure owner decides to use slab track. So, for example, in Austria, um, the Austrian Federal Railways have decided that if there's um, if there's track, if there's railway track in a tunnel, that it should be slab track. Um, this is partly because you know access to a tunnel is a little bit more restricted to, than uh, to an open section. So even if the speed is not very high, if it's not demanding, you know, as far as you know the performance, you know, if if um, if the track is in a tunnel. Uh, for the purpose of reducing, well, increasing, I guess, you know, like safety and uh, reducing the need for the amount of maintenance in in a confined space, you know, like the decision is to um, build slab track um, in case uh, it's a tunnel. Um, Austria and some other countries also have... Um, Slab track also in open sections and on bridges. This mm. is also the case in Germany, and it will be on high speeds too, uh, where slab track has been chosen for the entire uh, length uh, of the line, at least for um, for the first. Uh, yeah, for, for the first one. phase up to, and and the, yes. the likelihood is it'll be because of the length of open track between Crew and Manchester. The chances are it'll be slab track all the way into Manchester, probably. Which is which is good for you guys because you've got a shoe in. But we'll get to, we'll get to the yeah high speed two is um yeah it's a good example of where it's going to be used where slab track's going to be used kind of at scale really isn't it? But but yeah. as you say we've 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 seen slab track I mean slab track's been used in the UK for a very long time actually but um uh, poor has been used so it was used on Edinburgh Glasgow um electri uh, electrification uh, it's used through the tunnels as you say to get extra clearance uh, for electrification and also for maintenance. Um, and it was also used. It's also been used on gospel to barking, I think, as well. Um, is that right? Is that right? Yeah. That is correct. It's been used on gospel oak. Uh, it is being currently installed on, in Gasworks Tunnel. This is. Of course, um, yeah. This is King's Cross. Hmm. 
And um, and you mentioned, you know, Edinburgh Glasgow Improvement Project. So there were two tunnels. Um, one was in Glasgow, which is Queen Street Tunnel, and the other one is in Edinburgh, which is Wentborough Tunnel, where a pod slab track has been installed. And as you properly said, um, there was slab track in the UK even before. In fact, our slab track system replaced the existing slab track system, which just, you know, like it, it had to be replaced because of some issues where, you know, like operations um, have slowed down because of deterioration in quality. It so was, yeah, um, it was the old British Rail um, sort of poured slab track, and I'll, I'll be honest to say, um, it was installed in, shall we say, interesting conditions uh, with a lot of water, and it, it had turned into sort of crumbly cheese, uh, <laughs> which is why it was ready to be broken out and replaced with um, replaced with pour. Um, which what was quite interesting on that job, we've gone off on a, a segue already. What was interesting on that project is actually that you provided pour provided some test sections to trial run uh, what the demolition of the, what the construction process would be within Queen Street Tunnel, or, or maybe they reused some of your sections. But it was quite interesting seeing that collaboration to, um, to kind of make sure that when they got into the tunnel for real, everything went smoothly. It was quite cool. Uh, there, was, there was a test track that was installed before any of these. This was uh, in Aspernby. But, you know, on Queen Street and, um, and on Winchboro Tunnel, you mentioned, you know, clearance. Obviously, these are very old tunnels, and you know, UK being one of uh, the pioneers uh, as far as railways concerned, uh, you know, which was developed more than a hundred years ago. Uh, the tunnels that were built back then, you know, did not require that much clearance. But you know, here we are in the modern era, and a lot of the network, you know, should be electrified. And how do you actually? fit electrification in this old tunnel that does not have the clearance. So one of the things that we were able to do or that, you know, people working on the project were able to do was actually to lower the track because um, because pod slab track system has narrow construction width and height. Yeah. So this was not it was also an example, um, you know, of, of um, yeah, slabs advantages for getting this construction yeah. construction height you know on some of the projects in austria as well where you know it was installed in these old, old tunnels yeah. so when you talk about what why is slab track good <laughs> so you know this would be one reason you know in an old tunnel with at least our slab track system it is possible to lower um the track um level and uh and fit electrification fit electrification that's definitely one of, of many positives um about slab track so so yeah this picture is good for so from a track engineer perspective one of the things that causes me headaches particularly in a scene like this is the differential uh, kind of the, the different structural properties of the the support structure underneath the track so you've got uh slab uh, sorry you've got uh, the embankment running onto a viaduct then running into a tunnel and all of these have different for want of a better word bounciness underneath the track and slab track is quite a good way of uh, managing those transitions between different um, stiffnesses. So it's another another benefit of, of uh, slab track, whereas ballasted track isn't quite as, you know, the, the ballasted track gives you an immediate response. So if you've got something stiff underneath the ballast uh, compared to something very uh, soft under the ballast, there's almost no transition. You have to build something special underneath the track, essentially, to manage that different. So slab track's very good for that as well. And I'm sure we're going to continue saying good things about slab track through this piece. But the next picture... Unless there's anything else you want to say about that yeah. nice curvy picture. Oh, yeah, go on. Uh, I, I would like to say something. So, Ooh. you know, obviously um, the fact that 
Uh, you have different stiffness, you know, on in an open section on bridge, depending on the stiffness of the bridge and then in a tunnel. You also have to consider transition of that stiffness, you know, in, in slab track. So mm. this is something that has to be investigated. Um, you know, the best thing to do is to consider uh, when you're designing the bridge to actually consider, you know, the slab track is going to be on top of it and to integrate the design so that it fits together. And because how projects are tendered, this does not always happen. Mm. You know, sometimes the bridge is tendered and designed, you know, and, and finished and the track comes afterwards. So when that when that happens, you know, then you have to consider, you know, okay, so the the bridge track interaction, you know, is it favorable or do we have to have special measures that we have to engineer in this case? So, you know, for anyone doing these types of projects, the earlier you engage the slab track specialist, um, you know, the better that um, track bridge interaction is going to be and the longevity um, and, you know, the success or of, of your, the longevity of the track and the success of your project. Absolutely, and it, certainly, yeah. It's 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 always something that has to be considered, no matter what the uh, what the type of track form is. But it's uh, uh, generally it's easier. Yeah, it can it should be given, as you say, given the ideal situation where you're designing the structure and the track together from the very start. Um, my experience has been that slab track is easier to coordinate that sort of a, a transition than than it is than is the case for ballast. Um, so the next picture is of. I'm going to now describe it, which is, oh, this is nice because it's showing some vertical geometry. So the previous one showed some really nice horizontal geometry with a nice sort of banking curve. Uh, this one shows, uh, it's appearing to show a vertical curve to a, to a rising grade. Um, again, you've got this, it's just very, it's very clean, tidy track form. It's great. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is a really nice, um, really nice picture of some track disappearing off into the distance. Tell us about this picture. Um, which is, yeah. So the picture that you showed earlier in this one, this is actually from um, a high-speed line in Germany. It's called VDE8. Um, and, you know, it's in German, it means uh, German reunification project. Uh, so it's on the line that uh, connects Berlin, um, Berlin with Munich. Uh, it's not the entire length because um, you know some of that uh, some of that section uh, was with ballasted track, but there was quite a bit uh, of new high-speed railway built in slab track, and Pod has install installed over 300 kilometers of of uh, our system on that line. So both of these pictures are from that project. Um, you can see here that there is a you know like like you said you know there is a vertical um, slope. Uh, this goes through a region that is very mountainous. So there were quite a few um, bridges and uh, tunnels. And because of, you know, this mountainous region, you know, you would, uh, there are also sections where, um, you know, that the, there is a, a significant change uh, in, uh, in vertical slope. Yeah. So, it's, so we've had an interesting question, which I think maybe we can tackle now, which is, so um, David Shepard is asking, if, if slab track is so good, why isn't it everywhere? Uh, does it cost more? Um, well, I mean, firstly, it's we've had slab track for a long time, but the idea of having, and I'm sure you'll talk about this 
in a bit more detail momentarily, the idea of having nice precast sections of slab track and making that work is maybe a bit newer as an idea, although 1989, that's not that new. Um, but the other thing is, is, that, is the challenge is that certainly, and I'll speak for the UK government here, we have a government that's very fixated on the upfront costs and doesn't think so much about the overall long-term uh, so they, they think about the capex, the capital expenditure, and they don't necessarily think about the total expenditure. So um, there's a bit of a challenge in that if you're thinking about the total expenditure, slab track for intensively used railways can actually be cheaper overall. Um, indeed, for HS2, it certainly is. Um, there are other, as we're going to say, there are other benefits to it. Um, but if you're just looking at the upfront costs, certainly historically, slab track is more expensive. Like it is more expensive than ballasted track. So that's kind of the challenge and the reason why we don't see more slab track, certainly in the UK. Um, Ivan, I don't know if does that just does that just about summarize it? Do you think? Uh, well, as you pointed out, I mean there is a little bit more upfront cost on uh, slab track. But over time, if you think about the life cycle and, you know, like you won't have to do maintenance, especially the very expensive maintenance, it is a cheaper system. Mm. Now, when you think about that, um, it's a little bit, you know, to be fair to, you know, the governments, not just the UK government, any government, if you already have an operating line, you know, it's like, well, you're not going to dig it out and, you know, just install something new. And also, even when we're, you know, making our own decisions in our own life, you know, it's like if you want to buy a car because you need to move from A to B, you know, it's like what type of a car are you going to buy and at which cost? It could be that, you know, it's better to buy a little bit more expensive car, but you only have so much in budget. This, this is, you know, just to be fair. Now, of course, you know, like it makes sense um, to consider slab track at least. And uh, this is something that the Austrian Federal Railways will also uh, tell you. Slab track is outstanding, it's great, but even they, when they're making their decisions, they take a look at the use case. So sometimes yep. it makes sense to use ballasted track. You know, it's like if it's not a line that's used a lot, if the speeds are kind of not that high, you know, it's like it makes it, you know, ballasted track would win the case. In situations, especially, you know, modern mobility, you know, we need lots of, well, hopefully, <laughs> uh, we want to travel by train and we want to get from point A to point B uh, in a fast way. And we want, um, you know, that track to be quality for, you know, we want high comfort of our ride. So, you know, in, in modern days, you know, there is more and more need for high speed uh, railway. So this is where, you know, slab track, tends to win the case, especially if you consider the fact that, you know, if that railway line um, actually has many trains running on it, you know, uh, per hour, you will have a difficult time finding opportunities to maintain the track. Absolutely. Yep, yep. And, and also, you know, like if you think about the total cost, it ends up being cheaper. But it really has to be, you know, like a decision based on a use case um, to decide, you know, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and and also, you know, it, you know, budgets decide everything. If there's money in the budget, then then which, maybe you can go with the more expensive yeah. initial upfront cost. Which is why it's so important to um to ed to kind of educate policymakers and decision makers so that they look at the whole life cost and not just the to the, the the initial upfront costs. Um, which hopefully this video is is, is part of part of doing. Um, so so that's yeah that's a tremendous picture. Uh, you know we've already been talking for we've been doing this for thirty one minutes, Ivana. I told you time flies, um, and we're only on on, on uh, slide 
we're now on slide image three, which is uh, it's a terrific image showing uh, pour, uh, the pour sort of precast slabs being laid out uh, in what looks like quite a straightforward manner, actually. You've got a, a train on one, or is it a train? Actually, you've got a, what looks like a, yeah, it will be a train, sat on one side with a with a wagon with a load of um, precast units and then a, just a fairly straightforward looking uh, kind of front loader, lifting them off and putting them into place. Um, tell us about this image. And I suppose this is about, really, this is about how this particular design, how the pour system works, how you install it. So when we talk about slab track, um, you know, for people who are not very familiar with that, um, there is basically two ways to do slab track. One is to have like basically, you know, like blocks or sleepers and then use a lot of in situ concrete uh, on site, fresh concrete to, um, you know, that you pour on site. And the other one is to use these precast slabs. And I mentioned that the decision making at the time of development was to, you know, let's consider what we can do to make installation easier and to make sure that we have very high quality. So the decision was made to go in the direction of precast slab, which you can see here. Um, these slabs, the standard slab is uh, 5.2 meters long. They could be shorter, you know, if you're approaching a bridge joint, if there's like a reason why, you know, like you need to end someplace or if there's any type of, you know, like, um reason why you know it would have to stop at a certain section hmm. but um when these slabs are produced you know like they're produced uh under controlled conditions in a factory so only the slabs that actually meet the highest criteria they leave the factory so when they are um brought on site uh the adjustment it does not require too much work. Mm. So because because the geometry is already in the slab, um, and then you know the amount of concrete that is necessary is also much smaller if you have a precast slab because if you think about it, you know most of the concrete is already there. Um, so the combination of all of these things, you know, the high quality of the of the precast slab that leaves the factory, less concrete that you have to have on the site, you know, it just ensures that you have higher track um, quality when installed. It also helps um, as far as, you know, the number of people you need on mm -hmm. site for adjustment, because if you had these blocks and fresh concrete, just adjusting that track is much more more uh, time intensive, it requires more people. This, of course, then affects um, also the safety situation. You Absolutely. know, it's like if yep, you need yep. fewer people, then, you know, like you have already improved the safety situation on site. Um, yeah, and it's so as you say, yeah, that, yeah, for people who are, people often have, or certainly I've, I've seen in the past lectures about slab track that have all these pictures of slip form machines where they're kind of going along and slip forming, and it's kind of like, that's sort of what slab track looked like maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But, you know, modern slab track, poor as the kind of, for me, the kind of the pinnacle of, of this uh, type of track system. It's essentially a precision engineered product, isn't it? It's not, we're not talking about something that's sort of lumped in, poured, sort of wooden form work. These are very, very precision molded. Every single fitting is very, is laser accurate to the track alignment of that given unit. The concrete accuracy of the form is incredibly good. Like these are precision engineered bits of bits of kit. I'll say two things about that. You are very correct that you know it's extremely precise. So the critical key points on the slab have the precision, which is within plus or minus three zero point three millimeters. 
So it's not even a millimeter, it's 0.3 millimeters um, tolerance. So it's, it, it's very precise. But on the slip form, um, if you're building in an open section, you can't lay slab track just, you know, like on, um, you know, just, just like in an open area, you do have to prepare yeah. um, a layer. So you may actually, you know, like I would say, regardless of what type of system, if you're in a tunnel, you have the tunnel invert, you know, which is kind of fixed low subsidence um, surface. But in an open section, you would still use slip form because you have a layer underneath slab track uh, because you have to have certain amount of stiffness um, of the area that you lay slab track on top of. Yep. This is what makes it possible to have maintenance free, you know, for the throughout the life cycle, because if this was, um, you know, if this was a soft surface, you could not ensure that those slabs will remain in the position without any type of settlements or, you know, especially problematic is differential settlement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, so, yeah, some of the, so for example, the old British Rail, um, what was called Pact, uh, was essentially, it was, it was in time, it was two tips, you had mass concrete underneath, um, and then with a the reinforced concrete, uh, slip form reinforced concrete on the top, which would then have the fastening sort of set, nestled into it. Um, essentially, it was a top-down form of construction where you had the rails and everything else sat underneath, and then you'd slip form the concrete. Um, and uh, it was certainly less precise than <laughs> modern methods of, of, of uh, slab track construction. So, yeah, things have moved on a little bit since then. Um, even, it, you know, so... You know, there there are other types of, of slab track system. You know, uh, as you say, sort of booted twin box sleepers is a common the the, the Sonneville LVT system where you have got these sort of booted sort of twin box sleepers. Those sit in a in and then you pour concrete around them. It's another way to do slab track. Um, uh, so that yeah, you have this. There's kind of a variety of different systems, but it's much more precision engineered than it certainly used to be um, with with the old the old BR system. So so what else is going on in this picture then? Because there's 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 um. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a fantastic picture, really. This one, I love it. Um, I see somebody has asked the question: Is there a hinge effect between adjacent precast mm. panels? So if I understand this correctly, um, there's the question is really you know what type of connection is there between panels? And I will say this again depends on the slab track system. Mm. Uh, so uh, our slab track system actually has a joint between the two adjacent panels. It's minimum four centimeters. It could be longer. It could be a little bit uh, bigger than four centimeters. And um, this is actually by design because the idea is to, you know, if there's any type of stresses in, in, the, in the track, you know, it allows the track to breathe. Mm. And you can also run um, – our system is not um, – post-tension system, which some some systems are. Some systems just have, like, you know, concrete throughout for the whole length. And, you know, if you know uh, a little bit about concrete, you know that um, concrete, cracks in concrete can be problematic, especially when you have, you know, a train moving at a high speed mm. and all these dynamic loads on the track, you know, like, you know, cracking of concrete can be problematic. So... One of the ways that we design, uh, that we deal with preventing these cracks is also to allow this joint in our system. Mm. Uh, so the two, two panels in our case are not connected. And 
the stresses are not then, you know, pushed into the next panel and into the next panel in the same way they would be if if the whole thing was connected. A continuous. Yeah. And if you do a continuous yeah. bore, you need to install expansion joints in, in a continuous type. Anyway, generally, you'd have some form of, of or you can have forms of expansion. Uh, so, so yeah, it's in a way, I suppose they're they're acting like very long. They're almost like very, very long sleepers in that sense. And they're kind of discontinuous single uh, single pieces. Um, yeah, good question. Thanks, Owen O'Neill. Um, there was another question. Where, where did I spot it? Which is quite a good one. Uh, Matt Reed is asking, and I think I can answer this one based on HS2's work. I'm hoping that they're going to publish their paper on this, which is, does the cost difference in installation of slab track and normal track outweigh the maintenance costs? How long does it take for the cost difference to have an effect on one's budget? Well, that depends on every project, of course. Sometimes you might find that it doesn't. If, if you've got a lightly used railway line, then you might find that it'll never that the balance doesn't work, and you have to look at it on a project by project basis. But for intensively used railway lines, which are in, in the which is a lot of them nowadays, frankly, um, yes, the, the slab track will be cheaper if you look at its total. Even if you look at like a forty year period, not even the not even the one hundred twenty year design life of the project, but even if you're looking just at a forty year period, which is about the the renewal cycle for a for track for a track kind of regular track system. Um and there's a paper that HS2 have done that describes this and it describes a methodology to follow for projects. And I don't think they've published it yet. I'm waiting I'm kind of bouncing up and down in my chair waiting for them to publish that methodology because people being able to follow that methodology would be very useful. Um yeah, lots of work that was done by Niall Fagan and um and his colleagues at HS2 when he was in charge of track, some really good work there. Um, I suppose that I, I don't does that match what you what you think, Ivana? Uh, you are very correct to say that it really depends on the project. So you know we have uh, a study uh, for one project in in Austria where it showed that the break even point is before it even reaches 20 years. Oh wow! Uh, you know on a on a different project it could be earlier or later. It really depends, hmm. but it. it you know, this is a decision uh, that is made. You have to think about what factors go into calculating this. And some of these factors will be really the use case of the line. You know, does it does it require a lot of maintenance or not so much, you know? Hmm. Um, and it also depends, you know, when you say, okay, so like how much more expensive there would, the question was also in terms of cost, the initial upfront cost. And your response was that this depends on the project and I will completely agree on that. And I'll just give um, an example from real life because, you know, when people ask, well, how much does it cost? It's similar to saying, well, I'd like you to build me a house. How much does it cost? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have to ask, well, what type of house do you want? Where is this house? How mm. much does labor cost in this area? You know, what is the house supposed to have? So, you know, you can have a general orientation on, on how on how much something costs, but it might be different um, depending on the specific case, which country, um, on the specific project, you know, like what what will be the, you know, how will this track be used? Yeah, I mean, we're getting a lot, you've, you've spurred in, we've got a million questions coming through now, but I'm going to pause those, conscious that we're already 42 minutes in, and go to the next picture, unless there's anything else you want to say while this picture is up. Um, uh, no, I think we can move cool. on. Cool. Let's go to the next picture, um, which is the, also, by the way, Ivana, we're getting loads of comments. In fact, you'll be seeing them of people just loving these photos. Um, so uh, thanks thanks to Por These are all Porus photos or your photos, actually, aren't they? They're all like straight out of the presentation, I think, that, that um, you gave at the PWI. So there's, there's a lot of love for these pictures. There's some very satisfying railway pictures here. So uh, all the nerds in the chat 
Yeah, you're welcome. Um, this picture is of a... Okay, it's a viaduct, but there's there's no track on it yet. It just looks like the uh, the structure has been built and they've built the earthwork approaching it, but it, it, it's tra- there's no track on it. But what I can see in the bottom left-hand corner are a few poor units piled up. So um, tell us about this picture. What's going on here? So you mentioned that this was taken out of the presentation. And in that presentation, one of the uh, points I was addressing was the importance of the logistics mm. um, and how especially on uh, large scale projects, you know, it's like you have to one of the most important things to consider when building railway, which is a long line construction site, you know, so it keeps moving. It doesn't mm. matter if it's ballasted track or slab track, it just keeps moving. So you have to consider the logistics for that. And it becomes especially important in case of slab track and in case um, where you have uh, different civil works contractors building different civil works as part of different construction lots. And they may have, um, you know, different timelines on when they should be finished. So the reason why we used this picture was also to say that you know, if you have ballasted track, usually the progression of construction site is very linear. You start from one end and you keep going forward. So in case you come upon a bridge that is still not completed because, you know, it's due to be completed in six, six months or there's some type of delay, you know, like in tunneling, you know, it could be uh, no fault of anyone that there's a delay. It could be just geological things, you know. Uh, so... Uh, especially when you have like a condensed timeline of completing a project, uh, slab track does allow you flexibility because you are not bound by the very expensive uh, cost intense uh, machinery that builds ballasted track. With slab track, you can have actually parallel work work fronts in different sections. and the machinery that is required is a little bit system dependent because we said there are various uh, slab track systems, but usually it's not that cost intensive like um, like it would be for for ballasted tracks. So I think you know the discussion in that case was the the logistics and when um, when you have situations where the civil works are not completed at the same time, but you would like to have progress in construction of track that comes on top of that and it comes to things logistics are hugely important for things like um uh yeah like if that bridge wasn't there um where's how do you get the stuff from one side of the valley to the other for example how do you get if you've got the the depot where all of the poor units are being transported to is there and and there's and there's a a valley in the way without a bridge that's a bit of a problem from a, a logistics perspective so it's important that um you know so in that case it'd be quite hard to do the, to lay the track on one side and lay it on the other, waiting for the bridge to get built. Ideally, the structure's done, and then you can just lay the, and then that way you can use the, essentially use the structure as a whole road. This is actually a problem on a lot in a few different sites on the HS2, is getting the construction staging right that they can use these structures as the whole road to actually get the materials um, from one end of the of the construction site to the other. Um, there's an interesting and, question. And in, oh, go on. Yeah, sorry. In this case, I mean, like. Uh, you know, we can deliver our panels by rail or, um, you know, use it by road. So you could, you know, just use regular road and deliver the panels, but you could not build, you could not have construction progress 
maybe in this case, if it's slap track with our panels, you know, you skip that bridge and you come back to it later, but mm -hmm. you have continued progress in other sections. So bringing the panels is less of a problem than if you have to, you know, build like um, with ballast and that machine cannot move across the bridge before it's finished and yeah. it cannot continue building the track beyond. Yeah, so so actually slab track is affording you maybe a little bit more flexibility in terms of program than, than perhaps you have with ballasted track with the, the automatic track lane machine. Yeah, that's very interesting. And we've had a, a question about what goes underneath the slabs. And I think we'll save that for maybe a couple of slides because we've got a, a kind of an installation picture, I think, in maybe two 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 slides away. So we'll flick on to the next picture, which is of um, it's another stunner, actually. I've twisted it around a bit, actually. So you can see this is, again, you've got uh, high-speed lines in, in mainland Europe are just so pretty to look at. You've got uh, a tunnel portal, which has got some nice slats in it to dissipate aerodynamic forces. You've got a viaduct over a steep valley. Then you've got a short but quite deep cutting followed by another tunnel. So it's all happening here. <laughs> it's a fantastic picture. Um, Tell us about this one. What's going on? And in fact, there's even some S there's even some switches and crossings. There's a giant crossover between the two tracks in the middle of it as well. So there's a lot going on here. That 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 is an interesting uh, image that kind of shows you know all of it, <laughs> like <Yeah>. you mentioned. <laughs> this was on that um, high speed line VD8 in Germany, and I mentioned earlier that it's a very mountainous region, so there were sections where you had similar situations, but most of the time, the sections where you have, you know, like where you go from one tunnel onto a bridge, a little bit of um, open section, and then into the next tunnel, usually they were a little bit longer. Here you have a very condensed yeah. uh, version of all of that. And sometimes, you know, the topography just um, forces you to, to, you know, have this type of scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's quite, it really is quite impressive. It's a, it's, I mean, these are, so I get upset when you know we're burying high speed two underneath tunnels for a lot of its length, um, which is which is good for, in a few cases. It's fine. It's reducing uh, some of the uh, at ground kind of ground level impacts, but we're missing out on the chance to create some absolutely stunning sort of sceneries uh, for for not only for the people in the trains, but actually I think it's quite a fetching bit of infrastructure for people to see next to the railway. Anyway, right. That's but that's another subject. What we're going to do is. But May, may, oh, I, yeah, go on. Yeah, may yeah. I comment on that? So, you know, like what you mentioned was also a consideration for um, Deutsche Bahn when they were, you know, deciding their alignment. And they said, you know, they were interested in having in the passengers, you know, on a train, having this experience of seeing the nature. But, you know, due to topography, they did end up with um, quite a few tunnels. And some of these tunnels are quite long. Mm. Uh, there was just no way to go around that, even though, you know, like they had that idea of, you know, enjoying the scenery very much in the forefront uh, when, when designing. And, the, the, you know, they still um, allow this luxury of, you know, seeing the scenery to, to the passengers. But, you know, they just couldn't. The line does have many tunnels and some of them quite long. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the. Um... Yeah, there. This line. I've never actually ridden on this one. I, I I did a trip. I did a trip in Germany before this line was. I think before this line was operating, or I, or I skipped it because of I'd probably chosen a cheaper ticket as well because I'm a Scot. I'm Scottish and I don't spend uh, enough money. In any case, um, absolutely stunning. So we're talking about construction, and I think the next picture is of some people in a tunnel, um, installing or rather maybe they're checking actually some post installation 
uh, poor slab track. So tell us what's going on here, and then we'll maybe answer some of the questions about um, uh, about slab track that have come up. Um, but uh, yeah, tell us about this picture. Um. I'm just waiting for it to oh, change yeah. in so my Oh, yeah, so they're inside the tunnel, and they're, yeah, they're, you're, you're about 30 seconds behind. So they're, they're currently they're rolling. Oh, yes. the, yeah, there we are. Go on, tell us about it. So um, I mentioned that uh, we that, that the philosophy with our slab track is to have this precast slab track. So in this case, they're actually doing the adjustment of the track. Um, when the rail material is available, of course, you know, like to reduce the number of sets, uh, it's the 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 rail is actually put on slab and then it's measured from top of the uh, rail. Mm. And in this case, you see in the middle uh, of, the, of this image, you see the surveyor and you see a worker on the side. Um, in each of the slabs, there is a spindle opening. What's, what, uh, what the worker is holding is a spindle. And these teams are, they work so well together that they know, depending on what is shown on the on the screen, you know, that they maybe need half a turn, a quarter of a turn to um, achieve the very precise alignment. Now, this is possible partly because the slabs are put into location with already a precision of plus or minus uh, half a centimeter. So it's already, you know, like when when it's when it's put into location, it's already pretty precise. And then this is the um, the final adjustment that takes place. And once the surveyor uh, gives the green light, you know, says, okay, you know, we have achieved the precision. Um, you see in the middle these uh, square openings; they're tapered. This is where the concrete is poured. Um, and then, you know, of course, you know, you have to have some type of form or shuttering um, put on, on track before that, but then concrete is poured and that would be the last step of installation. If the railway material is not available, because, you know, uh, very often for these uh, larger projects, the rail material is 120 meters long. So if there's a tunnel or a bridge that is that has not been uh, completed yet, um, it is possible because of the very high precision of the um, of, of these critical points on, on the slab to measure from those points and uh, install without the rail material. And then when everything's when civil works are all uh, finalized to bring in the rail material. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So. Um, so that yeah, so that the little square opening there, those are called shear keys. Right. Is that is that what you'd how you describe them as shear keys? They, they do have a function of a shear key yes yeah yeah oh, okay so they, they function like a shear key okay yeah yeah um oh that's me just simp oversimplifying things so while we've got this picture up so there are a couple of different things so the construction of um but take us in the layers of construction for for poor okay it varies between projects but a typical example from say you've got the subgrade so you've got the earthwork built up say the subgrade has been built up is it then a mass concrete pour and then the slab on top and then the shear key is added? Is that is that generally the layer of construction? So is that one example? So if you have, you're talking about an open section, so earthworks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you would start with frost prote protection layer, which is system independent. You always have to have this frost protection layer. And this is something, you know, that, um, you know, like, compactness of that and stiffness is is prescribed you know like so this has to be of a certain level uh, and on top of that for our system you would have a concrete bearing layer and then our panels come on, uh, on top of the concrete bearing layer um, and they're 
the concrete that is poured into these openings that can be minimum is four uh, centimeters under the slab. Um, it could be also a little bit higher depending on the section where it's installed and you know the requirements for that section. But if you're building, uh, as in this case, uh, in a tunnel, basically you have a tunnel invert. So you just have, you know, like there is some type of fill material, some type of, you know, concrete material uh, for, you know, to make the level of, which is system independent. And, you know, in that case, uh, our slabs would come on top of that, the layer of self-compacting concrete that is poured through the openings, it actually fills the space under the slab. So, um, that's the basic. Yeah, yeah. Um, is do you have um? So do you use um tarmacadam as a as a sub layer as well instead of uh, concrete? Is that one of the options that you have for open track? Um, this has been used on a couple projects. One of them was in the UK. One of them was also in Austria. So this is definitely um a, a possibility. Hmm. Again, it depends on the requirements of that railway line. Uh, and what the decisions are, but it has been used in the past. Uh, in this case, you know, like in a tunnel, in this case, I'm referring to the image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a tunnel, usually it would be some type of a concrete material. Um, but I believe on Gospel Oak that it was um, tarmac. Ah, okay, because yeah. Because that's an open section. I believe that that's the preference for, um, for HS2 as well, is that it'll be laid, there'll be a tarmac layer with the, I believe, but I might not be right on that. Certainly, when I've chatted, I think, to... I, like from what I know, this will be with this will have a, a you know a layer of a, um, a concrete base uh, layer. But you know, this is something that obviously once we get into you know designing those things, um, the final design will determine will it. Be... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then obviously within tunnels, generally you'll have you'll have the this example. You, it's a board tunnel with lots of nice concrete lining segments. Then there'll be the civil engineers will have layer, put a layer of kind of concrete shaped concrete that'll be underneath. That's almost like a bit of a, a road. And then the permanent way, the track people will come in, put their special concrete layer down, and then the slab will go on top of that, depending on sort of the construction process. In crossrail, certainly there was when I walked through one of the crossrail tunnels. You have the concrete lining, and then there's sort of almost a roadway that's banked for the, depending on what the curvature is, that's banked. And then a little bit of a layer of mass concrete would go in before the slab would go on top of that. So quite a variety for the people who love concrete out there, uh, plenty for the concrete engineers to do, all manner of different exciting concrete mixes to, to come up with. Um, so yeah, so this, so this, I, I think one of the things this picture um, is, is that precision that you've talked about. Because high-speed track, um, or indeed highly intensively used track, doesn't have to be high-speed, requires very, very tight tolerances. Um, you know, the, the tolerances of, um, if on the Gothard base tunnel, uh, I think is the most crazy tolerances I've heard. They had tolerances of like 0.1 millimeters every 10 meters, uh, plus or minus. So there's tiny little bops of, of space that the rails had to fit in. But HS, you know, for high-speed lines, generally, the, that tolerance is about half a millimeter either way. And you also need to be able to, therefore, adjust the rails very carefully when they've gone onto this slab track. And so that's the ability to just finely tune is something that these slabs are very good at, right? To, to make sure the rails are in the right place. Um, you know, the point is obviously with slab track to achieve very high precision if you want to have something that is very low maintenance because yeah. with very high precision of the track, and in fact, you know, like it has to be very fine precision 
of the rails because that's where the the train is running on this affects the ride quality this also affects you know how much wear and tear uh, there's going to be so obviously if you don't have very high precision you know there's going to be more wear and tear which is counterproductive you know this is you know you're you're installing slap track so that it could be with low maintenance which which is why precision has to be very high as you mentioned I just want to mention something uh, because we mentioned high speeds too and tunnels just to make sure mm. that you know uh, that we're not confusing anyone. So um, Pod has been selected to provide to supply the slap track system um, for for uh, open section and on bridges, but tunnels will be decided as part of future pr procurement because um, you know multiple systems can can compete there. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's, I, I figured that you're, I, yeah, my understanding was that you have the open sections and the, bri and the bridges rather than the, yeah. the tunnels, which are often, yeah, tunnels, yeah. But It's but a slightly different world for, yeah, the track within a tunnel is, is always slightly, yeah, can be slightly different. Poor can do tunnels, but yeah. Not, not only the, can it do, but we actually provide many benefits when installing in tunnels. And we're obviously interested in offering also for tunnels. But this is out in the future. Let's see. Um... Yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. Fingers crossed. For, yeah. You know. Hey, there's yes. no. I, I I can be commercially biased. I don't care. There, there's no one. No one shouting at me here. I, so it's, it's not the BBC. I don't have to be like other other slab track providers are available. I mean, they are. I'm, yeah. But um. Anyway, you know. Poor. But I think I should be fair. Yeah, that's right. Well, you're. Yeah, you're the voice of reason on this on this uh, <laughs> podcast. I think. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, on that point. So for, as a track engineer, I always hope. My hope is always that the installation will put the rails precisely where my wonderful 3D rail strings are supposed to be. Because if they do that, uh, the the wheel set, the, the trains will run through beautifully smoothly. There'll never be any wear or damage, and it'll be marvellous. Um, that's obviously never going to be, particularly uh, for the existing railway infrastructure, for all sorts of reasons, that never really quite happens. Every time there's a diversion from the, the designed alignment, Actually, basically, even with my alignment, every time you basically change the direction of the wheel set, uh, you get energy dissipation. And that can be in noise or in heat dissipation into the rail and damaging the rail can form cracks, all sorts of things. So that's why. So so the way to so if you the closer you get to the perfect design and, uh, alignment, the closer the rails are to that design alignment, the less of that energy dissipation happens. And that's why you get this um, long life of the asset, which is why slab track is so good. So what I've done there is basically heat-heated uh, or mansplained exactly what Ivana just said, but with, with my track engineer hat on, so I can get away with it. It's okay. Um, yeah, so it's about that. the closer you can get to the perfect designed alignment, the happier the track will be and uh, the less your train will make bouncing and bumping noises, which is good. Um, crikey, it's already... What time is it? It's oh, cri We've already smashed the hour, crikey. It's always happens. It's because it's a good topic that I'm finding interesting. If you're finding it, if Ivana, you can just give. You know, if if it's if it's awful for you, you can just tell us, and we'll we'll leave you in peace, quiet. But um, everyone in the chat is loving it. There's loads of questions flying. I'm struggling to keep up with the questions. There are so many. People are fascinated. May I may I make a little comment oh, on yeah, sure. the track and what you were saying about you know the design. So, you know, when you build ballasted track initially, you know, you have high quality, but the nature of ballast is such that it actually provides some elasticity to the track. So every time that the train moves over track, you know, the elasticity, you know, like the, the ballast, you know, uh, is elastic, it, it moves a little. So many times with the train, with many times of the train running and the ballast moving a little bit, of course, that al alignment deteriorates over time. And this is what 
uh, slap track is supposed to help avoid because it is fixed and you know like it does not it's you know the concrete parts are not supposed to move um the quality of track is supposed to be there for the life cycle yeah yeah and and it's part of the reason why you can enable better clearances it, it's partly because the, the track form can be more rigid but actually it's more about so so when i'm doing uh, when i'm doing clearance assessment for example for electrification or just for enabling sort of larger trains you know freight trains um the reason why slab track is good and it allows me to uh, you know, I don't need as much space, isn't so much that the train, it's not about the track necessarily moving at that point. It's about the fact that between maintenance cycles, the track is going to move less. So even if the ballast, you know, ballast and slab track, particularly with modern fixings on slab track, it can be as, uh, it's it's not like a completely rock solid system. There's always a little bit of give in the elastic fastening systems on the, on the slab track, just as there is with ballast. But the point is that between maintenance cycles, slab track will be exactly where it was when you installed it. Uh, in theory, whereas ballasted track is expected, as you say, it's that elastic property, it's expected to degrade a little bit. So we have to have wider tolerances for ballast, ballasted track to it, to it enable that, um, that movement. Um, talking of movement, this is another fantastic picture. Is that kink in the viaduct supposed to be there that's in the distance? It's, 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 qu it's quite something. Is that just a natural design of the, uh, of the viaduct? Because can you see the wibble in the picture there, Ivana? Um, so you're allowed to say pass. You're allowed say, to say pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is no, no, no. I mean, this is actually one of the images that uh, that really illustrates uh, the point of how important it is to um, have the track uh, to to have the bridge designer consider slab track that comes on top of it, mm. uh, because you can see that you know, like the the bridge there. Also, you know, like in the bridge joints, you can see that the uh, the the bridge supports are different, so the bridge moves differently, uh, which does present some challenges for the slab track that comes on top of that. Uh, so, you know, this was the situation uh, on this project, and this was actually the design of the bridge was awarded. It did get uh, an architecture prize. Um, but then when you put a uh, slab track on, that, on top of that, you have to uh, have some type of mitigation measures mm. uh, to compensate for the movement in the bridge joints. So this is longitudinal movement we're talking about now. We're talking about, so so from one end of the bridge to the other, longitudinal along the bridge rather than sort of, so uh, I'm trying to work out how in 3D I can represent it. I can't. If you've got the bridge it, going like this, also... it's sort of this movement rather than, so it's longitudinal movement, right? It's, it's also vertical movement. If you think about, you know, it's like, um, especially in the bridge joints, you know, it's like if you have if you have a soft bridge, so to say, mm. you know, you would have more vertical movement. And of course, you know, if the train is running on top of that track, you know, at a very high speed, that that rail has to be in a fixed con uh, position, you know, and there should not be like, um, you know, on, on the bridge joint, you know, you, sh you cannot have a situation where there's a big where there's a big change in the vertical movement mm. and a big jump. So this is where I say the track engineer, then the slab track engineer has to go and, you know, like engineer special solutions, you know, like to to basically compensate for all that movement and still maintain, you know, like um, high precision of the track on top of it. And that image illustrates that, uh, 
especially when building slab track, it's something where, you know, track bridge interaction is very important. And the earlier uh, that the slab track requirements are considered, you know, because in the end, the train is going to travel on top of rails. So, you know, the precision of that rail mm. uh, is very important. The slab track supports the, the rail, you know, the bridge supports the slab track. So uh, it's best when, um, when the, the design of this is um, approached from considering the entire system and each of the components and how they integrate with each other. Because you can build a bridge that is according to all the requirements and regulations, and yet you haven't considered what comes on top of that. So, you know, it just illustrates the point that uh, the earlier you consider slab track, the better. Absolutely. You've, I mean, yeah, it's something that on every single project I work on, it's the, 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 the projects that are successful are the ones that have proper design integration, proper early, early conversations between the different disciplines of civil engineers, track engineers, you know the the overhead line electrification engineers as well all of these different uh, systems need to be you know the earthworks engineers of course all of these different people need to be having those conversations early doors because ultimately the train doesn't care what's underneath the rails it just cares about the rails and the position of the rails the train is, is not interested whether it's a bridge or a or, a, or an embankment or whatever it is it just needs to have a good clean running surface a good smooth um high quality alignment um yeah that's that's another fantastic picture uh, and again, you can see th these are great construction pictures because you can see there's this this sort of staging of the works where you've got this track, this, this temporary way that's being like, actually it won't be, it'll be the permanent track that's being put down and used for the the train sort of running along on the top. Uh, yeah, you know this construct this engineering train, it's brilliant. Love these pictures, they're great. Um, there's also some really good questions. Sorry if I'm missing your questions. Do remind me. In fact, you know what? I'm going to ask the big question that I've been asked a lot now before I forget. So lots of people in the chat. Um, have been asking about noise and the difference in noise levels between ballasted track and slab track. Uh, Ivana, what's what, what can you tell us about that? Um, this is very system dependent. So it depends on, on I mean, it, dep it depends in general, you know, what area you're in. It's going to differ, you know, like uh, it's going to be uh, noisier uh, for both or less noisy depending on the area. But then uh, between ballasted track and the different types of slab track, you know, it's very different. So the tests that we have done show that actually our slab track system has um, properties which are more favorable than um, than ballasted track, oh. uh, which sometimes is a little bit unexpected. Yeah. But uh, when I mentioned, you know, I, I don't think that, um, you know, this hour allows us time to yeah. go into <laughs> yeah. all the details of design episode but, episode um, episode episode 150 we'll go into this we'll, we'll get a paper on the two we'll yeah. prepare because honestly that would be fascinating to look at the two because it's a question i get asked a lot about slab track um noise but that's interesting but that again, those numbers that have come doesn't up mean, it doesn't mean that it's you know more favorable for slab track period it's just in the in the particular case of our slab track because of how it's designed and these integrated properties of it so if anyone's interested you know like uh, after this, you can you can ask me a question. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. It's uh, that's uh, absolute. Oh, I'm intrigued now. Uh, it's the fiddly detail that that, that rail natterers absolutely love. Um, Obliteron, it's very kind of you to say um, uh, in, that you're enjoying these uh, and learning so much from these uh, natters. I, I do too. I absolutely love them. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Next picture. Oh, so this is this looks this looks to be the same. Uh, it's another picture. Fantastic. 
lovely big picture, which no one can see because I've not pressed the button here, which I'm going to do now. There we are, everyone. We're back. Um, lovely big picture of um, of the same viaduct, I think, but from the other side. So it's the other one's an aerial shot from the other direction. This one's from the, the kind of the other side where the tunnel portal is. Um, and it does show there is quite a vertical dip in the in the in the bridge, but that's that's too perfect to not have been engineered that way. But it's quite interesting that they selected it. It's very elegant. It's quite nice. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely stunning. So what what is this is this a similar picture saying the same thing, Ivana? What 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 uh, what's this picture uh, covering? That that is that is the same bridge. Um, that is the same bridge, and it's a long bridge. I think it was a little bit over two kilometers long. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and you can see, you know, like. The earlier picture also showed the shadows and, you know, especially different times of the day, you know, it, it, the, architecturally a very pretty bridge, you mm. know, like in, they considered yeah, yeah. the environment and everything. But then, um, you know, when you build slap track, then you have to do a lot of testing. When you build a bridge, you know, this is something that I don't know how many uh, how, of the um, people in the audience um have expertise in this or are aware of this but you know anytime you build a bridge there was going to be some type of settlement of that bridge for you know like this the amount of settlement uh is the highest in the early days yeah yeah um so and you know on this project some of the bridges were built not this particular one but there were some other bridges that were built 10 years before slab track came on top wow 10 years yeah yeah. So, so you're looking at a... that was that was a little bit on the extreme end of it. You yeah. know, like I said, this particular bridge was not uh, that was not the case. But, um, you know, that that's just sometimes how construction projects go, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's that's a long time. But yeah, I mean, this pick. So a long bridge has also yeah, it's. This, it's basically another entire topic. Yeah, kind of track bridge interaction is it, or track structure interaction is like a huge subject in and of itself. But it's yeah, the longer the structure, the more you have to think. You know, the more challenging it is to engineer for that for that difference. We're kind of what we're kind of talking about for everyone in the chat is is the difference in expansion. So one of the things, not all the things. Sorry, one theme of this is the difference in expansion lengthwise of, of say the rail expanding under heat or stress or cold um the the bridge the concrete of the bridge deck expanding at a different rate the slab expanding at different rates the concrete underneath the slab all these things expand at diff, kind of different rates and the way that they interact is kind of key but also vertically as you were saying the different rates of settlement of between an earthwork between even between different parts of the structure so there'll be a different rate of settlement for those arches than there will be for the intermediate viaduct piers i'd imagine they'll do their best to engineer it out but and they'll also probably for a bridge that's two kilometers long there might be different geology under one end of the bridge to the other and you might find that they've settled at slightly different rates there's all sorts of things that you have to manage and that's again that's if you're coming in 10 years later that's a bit of a challenge right for the slab track install installer to make sure that they've got enough um enough capability to accommodate the differences in levels compared to what they the position the bridge should be in right um, I guess, you know, like the, the level itself, you know, you could compensate for the level. And, you know, it's like if you have to fill a little bit more material, of course, you know, if there's enough support in the bridge or something like that. But the bigger issue is that is, you know, like the movement in the bridge joints. So it's something that, you know, like that would be the sensitive point, especially for, you know, rail. So like it would create a little bit of sensitivity. Um, Stress buildup. Yeah. In, Exactly. So, you know, this is something that um, 
that is very important when building slab track to consider, you know, like what is the maximum allowed movement in, in, um, in the bridge joint. Yeah, yeah. And it's um yeah so and, for and the higher the speed you know the higher the speed the more sensitive everything becomes absolutely of yeah. yeah those tolerances just get tighter and tighter as the speeds increase right. yeah and there's all sorts of different things that different disciplines can do you know we can install uh, ZLR clips which are zero longitudinal resistance clips so the rail can kind of move freely there are all sorts of different options we can do anyway as I said that good grief we could we could get lost we've already talked for ten minutes about it we could get it's a fascinating subject it really is. Um, but I fear we must press on. Oh, this is actually we should have talked about the construction of slab track for this picture. I made a mistake. This is a really good picture showing what the um, what the construction of uh, slab track looks of 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 the of the poor type of slab track looks like in really great detail. So this is a picture of a, 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 a this is this is Germany again. I presume this this looks like a very Deutsche Bahn uh, tunnel portal. Um, in fact, I'm sure I used this portal as an example, a video from a train coming out of this portal as an example of sonic boom through tunnels. Anyway, um, and the picture shows, it shows what appears to be a tarmacadam surface, actually, with the concrete, with the kind of the layered and reinforced concrete, and then with the slab, uh, sorry, with the, the precast slab unit, the pore units placed on top. Um, I'm audio describing for our podcast listeners. Um, this is a brilliant picture. I absolutely love this picture. Uh, absolutely perfect for showing the construction type. Ivana, tell us about this picture. Okay, so um, I have to correct you on this one. This Ooh. is actually in Austria. Oh, it, dang, it is Austria. Oh, well, there we go. Yes. Fool so me. Fool this... me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this case, you know, like this is um, this is a bypass tunnel for freight trains. And the reason why there's tarmac there is, um, you know, I don't remember the specific details, but it had to do with dewatering and, uh, you know, they were trying to actually reduce, uh, optimize it somehow and asphalt uh, or tarmac allowed that. Mm. Um, I mentioned before, you know, the concrete base layer in an open section, which you can see here, but, you know, as you go into the tunnel, you don't have this... Um, you know, you just have the time to invert. Yeah, yeah. But this this line is this line is for freight trains. Ah, okay, fascinating. So it just shows the variety of use cases. It's not all just about glossy high speed lines. You know, you've got gospel oak barking, which is a you know an urban uh, you know metro railway essentially. You've got this is a freight line. So there are some people asking questions about the different use cases. For example, freight. Um, uh, yeah, this this is a freight railway. So it shows that it's applicable in in all sorts of different conditions. Um, yes, and you know, I mentioned in Austria, if there's a tunnel, you know, the decision is to actually put slab track in because you know it's a sensitive area to go into, you know, and and do maintenance and repairs and things like that. Mm. Of course, inspections are done, uh, but that does not, you know, you can do that during night hours when there's no operations. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, this is a brilliant picture. I absolutely love this. It's fantastic. Um, even if I don't know my geography very well, I, uh, I stand, I stand to. Wait a minute, let me wait, wait until I get the next one wrong as well. May, if I may just point out, I Ooh, mean, yeah. like, if you see this picture, it does, does not mean that that's the standard how it has to no. be. So obviously, it's always a consideration of, you know, on the project. And um, this was a case, this was the first time that it was built this way in Austria. Oh, um, so the design of this, uh, the design of this with the tarmac underneath was like the first time it was implemented that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, definitely worth it. There, there are lots of different ways to 
use the the poor precast lab units. They sit on top of a variety, you know, all manner of different types of track con overall track construction. Um, so now we're, I'm getting very happy now because there, this is a picture of um, it's not just any switch and crossing unit. This is this looks like a very high speed switch and crossing unit. I'd say you know, maybe like ninety miles an hour. Like maybe it's a uh, hundred and thirty kilometer an hour sort of maybe 140 kilometer an hour sort of turnout i don't know this this line was uh designed for 300 kilometers per hour this is a, the same project in germany but yeah the, the turnout uh, but i suppose so the, the turnout yeah yeah i don't know what the diverging uh uh speed is but you know like the main line is supposed to be 300 kilometers yeah. per hour and so um so yeah, tell us about. So, so this one is. So this is a switch and crossing. So you've. This is where it gets tricky, and this is one of the reasons why slab. It's another answer to why slab hasn't kicked off quite as much. Certainly in the UK is the challenge of transitioning. If you've got lots of S and C transitioning on and off slab track, if you haven't got a slab solution for the S and C, is more problematic. Which is why this picture is interesting because having slab S and C kind of resolves that problem. Um, yeah. And 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 you know like. Um... There is, you know, slab solution for for SNC sections, you know, and Pod actually um, has developed its own, um, um, you know, it's also precast slabs for SNC sections, and we've installed quite a few on on different projects. Um, I would say that this is a, a consideration that was made in Austria. There were a few tunnels where slab track was being installed, and there was a short section of open section in between. So, you know, you'd have to uh, basically transition from a tunnel into this open section and very soon after you transition back into a tunnel. Mm. So especially when you have these uh, very short sections where you would transition into ballast, you know, like sometimes it makes more sense uh, to actually have um, slap track for the entire length because transitions are you know sensitivity in the system so yeah, this yeah. would help avoid that sensitivity also with the uh, with switches and crossings which are you know the nature of switches and crossings is that they're a little bit more sensitive than the main line yeah definitely so um yeah so i'm very pleased is this so is this the is this from the picture you showed earlier so there's a picture earlier between two tunnels with a bit of switch with some switches and crossings is that that section no. or is it just another one no this was a different different section um Fantastic. Yeah. So that's uh, thanks for putting in a picture of some S and C for me. That's cheered me. Uh, I couldn't be happier talking about slab track uh, until I saw this picture, and I was even happier. Um, so here's another picture uh, showing some uh, well, note uh, for for 25 kV showing a different design of OLE mast, but that's uh, that's maybe for a different uh, a different show. But again, you've got the you've got the poor slab track here looking fantastic um, on a lovely curve with the with the super elevation shown very nicely as well. Um, actually, yeah. Maybe this is actually what this picture is for. Tell us a bit about how super elevation is implemented on on uh, on the poor slab track. Uh, so as I mentioned, you know, like the geometry is already uh, built into the slab. So you know, like if there is some type of a radius, you know, like there will be some. There is a there is a span of radius in the slab. This is micro radius. It cannot be seen by eye, but it can be measured by machines. It would cover a certain. Um, you know, span of radius. Mm. But in case of super elevation, obviously, you know, you also have to have that slab, you know, where like, um, it, you know, like there's one one end of it sitting a little bit higher than mm. the other end. And this is um, 
regulated by, if you remember the picture where the, this final adjustment was being uh, done. Ah, yeah, with, with, uh, the big, with the big sort of T-bar, yeah. Yeah, so you can actually, you know, like you can, you can uh, set up the slab so that it is sitting where it needs to be, you know, with this, um, you know, in this super elevation, and then pour the concrete, um, self-compacting concrete through these, um, um, through these tapered openings. And uh, and then, you know, like when concrete is cured, it's sitting in the proper mm. position, uh, so to say. Uh, this is because uh, whatever the slab needs to have for that specific location, it's already um, designed into the slab in the factory. So the part of adjusting that super elevation and all those things is actually simple on site mm. with this precast system with systems which uh, use, you know, like concrete blocks and in, and, um, and in situ concrete on site. Um, of course, adjusting that would be a little bit more complex process. And this is something that runs throughout poor. This is why poor, from my perspective, poor, and, and okay, systems like poor, shall we say. Let, let's put, our, let, I'll, I'll be nice and say other systems that are similar to poor as well. There aren't any. Um, is that it's simplifying the process of installation it's it's making the what's it's making the work on site less labor intensive more straightforward more repeatable which ultimately means a more predictable program uh, a more reliable program because it's much easier to resolve problems in the factory um than it is to do so on site and to make change on site so it it feels like a thread that runs through everything with pour is that it's simplicity for installation on site it's it's making sure it's as easy to install as quick to install as as kind of minimal requirement for labor to actually install on site as possible which is which is a good thing it uh, reduces the cost overall of the railway frankly um yes so uh yeah that's that that's me getting very excited about slab track i'll calm down and i'll go to the next pic was there anything else you want to say about this picture actually was um no that's, i think it's good i'm conscious yeah. of, i'm conscious of time i'm trying to roar we've got only got a couple left here's another fantastic picture of um of a railway under construction uh, you can see the kind of the whole roads next to it, and you can see the the track in the middle, um, and you can just see it disappearing off into the distance. It looks it looks wonderful. I mean, some people would argue this is a, a monstrosity, but those people um, probably aren't railway engineers. So we have somewhat of a captive audience here. I, I feel. Um, so this, yeah, tell us about this picture. I mean, this this is showing the. Pro I mean, it feels like there's quite a few different stages of construction going on within this just even one picture. Um, the image has not oh, it's changed. Oh, not updated for... yet. Oh, yeah. oh, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that you know, since you mentioned the um the, the high speed railway seminar with the Permanent Way Institute, mm. um, what what I was talking about um here, you know, with that image was that on this uh, project in Germany, um, the VDA, uh, it was done in a way that the access roads, uh were running parallel to the track. Of course, not for the entire length of track. There were some sections where that wasn't the case, mm. uh, but they really tried to uh, build these access roads. So uh, again, you know, the the question is of logistics. You know, if, if you have those access roads, uh, there's a lot more flexibility uh, with logistics. And, you know, like the less complicated logistics are, the cheaper it is to build. Now you can also say, well, you know, it, takes money to build access roads. But in this case, with the project in Germany, uh, those some of those access roads are, um, you know, after the 
the line went into operation, those access roads were kept, you know, like for recreation, like it was a bike path or. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in some cases, you know, like it's actually not open for recreation, but it is access road for, you know, the railway infrastructure owner, um, you know, to access track, do their inspections or, you know, in case something happened, you know, have approach. So it was philosophy for this pro um, project to build those access roads. Um, some of the earlier images you showed where, you know, you had tunnel and then bridge and then shortly after tunnel, you know, a very mountainous section, obviously accessing track in that case is much more complicated mm. because you have windy mountain roads, you know, um, to approach the track. But in some of these areas, which were a little bit more flat, it was possible to build these uh, for construction and the consideration was then afterwards you know for recreation or for you know maintenance purposes or inspection purposes yeah and it's worth pointing out for anyone who's watching this who isn't a huge fan of of, of say new high-speed rail construction in the uk um for the most part hs2 is avoiding a lot of the whole roads that you, you see here um and, and are generally trying to use the the track bed keep the whole roads within the width of the track bed certainly through sensitive areas you know through environmentally sensitive areas you'll find that the track that the the whole road is is basically just uses the width of the track bed but that's variable depending on site conditions so here where this is sort of fairly flat easy to to reconstruct and low low environmental value agricultural land it makes sense to put the whole roads in as a bit of extra basically to build this bit really quickly right uh, there's, there's, it's easy to do you know, easier logistics mean lower costs yeah, and, and I did mention, you know, it's like that the value there was not just during installation, it was also, you know, the use for the local population mm. afterwards. Yeah. And... Uh, but it really will depend, you know, from project to project, it will depend on, you know, like people who live in the area, on, on the needs, you know. It's um, it, so, so my a railway that I harp on about all the time, which is called the Selby Diversion, uh, which was the, the kind of the last... Oh, it was the first high-speed line built in the UK, and it was built in uh, kind of the early 80s. And uh, indeed, in quite a lot of situations, the, 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 the whole road was left as like a local access road. So it's, yeah, you're right. There, there are lots of ways to, to leave, um, you know, to use this. In fact, having a parallel cycleway along HS2 would have been wonderful. A lot of people would really have loved that. I think it'd be brilliant having a, having a nice cycle path running from London to Manchester and Leeds uh, that happens to have beautiful high-speed trains running next to it. It'd be brilliant. Anyway, um the next picture is going to appear, which is, I think it's the last picture you sent, actually, uh, which is a, a very arty shot of probably hundreds, if not thousands, of individually barcoded and marked up poor precast slab units. Um, I mean, it's a, a picture tells a thousand, uh, picture kind of, what is it, a thousand words picture, I forgot, completely forgot the proverb. In any case, um, Ivana, this is, it's a highly professional show, what can I say? Um Tell us about this picture, but it is brilliant. It's a very good picture. Uh, you know, it was just to show, uh, this was, uh, you know, one of the, the, the times during peak production, you mm. know, where we had a lot of uh, slabs on stock so that we could actually provide just-in-time delivery for installation. And it really depends a little bit on how much is being built at the same time, you know, what what is the requirement, how fast should the line be built, um, so sometimes you have to, um, produce slabs ahead of time. Mm. Of course, you know, like optimally you would be producing them and stalling them, you know, soon after <laughs> and not stocking up. Yeah. 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 Um, Cause storage is cost. This is just extra project cost, right? 
And, and, and it's also, you know, it's like if you have to do this ahead of time and then you wait a while until you install it, you know, it's like it, you know, ideally for anyone who's doing any type of construction, you know, you want to produce and install and be done with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. But, but life happens and sometimes, you know, the situation is such that you have to actually go ahead of time and start producing. So uh, that you would have, you know, uh, that you could do a installation of um, significant length per day and maybe also with multiple work fronts um, you know later down down the line when installation begins the top tip for anyone wanting to see this scene in real life in the UK is in about well what year is this this is 2020 in like three years go and uh, go and look at Calvert um, uh, where is Cal is it in Buckingham oh, I've no idea which county it's in uh, in any case, go look. At, go to Calvert, and there might well be a stockpile of these um, at the infrastructure maintenance depot, which will be kind of doubling up as the storage site for a lot of the construction uh, components. I don't exactly know where they're all going to be stored, and you don't have to tell us, Ivana, but that might well be one of the places where they are. Um, and if, if you don't find any slab jet, there'll be other fun stuff going on. Um, while this picture is up, we've had quite a few questions, which I think are very good questions, about carbon cost. Um, now, the obvious response to, to, to okay, it's carbon cost of, of ballasted track versus slab track. The, the obvious initial response is with a reduced maintenance requirement or, or indeed zero maintenance requirement, you're reducing the need for um, you're reducing the need for maintenance vehicles. So therefore, you're reducing the carbon cost of maintaining the railway, which is a good thing. But are there any things that poor have done to look at reducing the embodied carbon within the slab units themselves? Uh, yes, I mentioned earlier that the construction width and height of our system is very low. So it's lower than any other uh, slab track system. So, you know, right there, if you reduce the amount, you know, like the size or, you know, the amount of concrete you need, you have already uh, improved, you know, uh, the CO2 balance of that. Mm. And um, we, you know, as far as concrete technology, you know, this is something that our company is obviously um you know, working on improving concrete technology and improving the CO2, and, um, you know, as part of that. But I would say, you know, one of the biggest impacts you can uh, have is by actually reducing the amount of concrete you need, which is, you know, um, which is part of the design of our system. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, so there's, so essentially you there's a whole big picture and you have to, just like capital costs, just like, you know, uh, kind of Euro signs, You've got to look at the at the kind of the overall big picture in terms of you know start to finish. What is the overall carbon cost of the asset, not just in the upfront, um, and, and and also if it's enabling quicker railway construction, then that's also driving a reduction in carbon costs. If you can get more people and things moving by rail, so um so wins all round, which means the next picture up, which you will see in about thirty seconds, depending on the latency of the stream, is um is is high speed two and it's a chance for you to to be very pleased about the fact that poor are delivering slab track on high speed two uh on the open and structure and bridge structures um for phase one and phase two a or is it just phase one i think phase one and phase two a are kind of bundled into one right uh oh yeah but the phase two a is at this point an option obviously um you know depending on the on the development of that phase yeah yeah but uh, no, congratulations on that. It's very exciting. When the news came up, it prompted me to check my email inbox and and uh, and send you another email to check that because I, I, we kept losing each other's emails in spam. Um, but yeah, so uh, 
congratulations on that and um thanks for Thank thanks you. for going through that all we, there's, there's a little bit before we close off and and don't hang up when i finish I, I must remember now to tell you don't hang up when i finish because I'll, I'll i must say thanks afterwards i forgot to tell you because we were playing with the tech before we started but that's been brilliant thank you so much uh, ivana that's been terrific there are there, there are lots of co- uh, questions in the chat if if we haven't answered your question by the end put it into the youtube comments and then i can email them over to ivana and get an answer um as as you all know uh, we are available on all good podcasting platforms so thank you to all of those of, of you who listen in audio form hopefully we've audio described uh, adequately uh, um uh, support us on Discord, uh, on Patreon rather, to make more of these happen, and go over to the Discord for the chat afterwards. And also, uh, you can support on PayPal. The links, uh, I've, uh, their links are all on YouTube, and I've said them a million times. I'm not going to say them again. Um, next week is episode forty. Good grief, the forty-first episode of of Rail Natter. Um, we're going to talk about four crashes that improved permanent way for good. Kind of, we learn from our mistakes. We're going to talk about four UK um, or British uh, railway uh, accidents, uh, derailments that, uh, that that we very much learned from as an industry. So um, that hopefully should be quite interesting for all of you. And um, it only really remains to say, Ivana, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, we've gone you. very long. I'm so sorry for taking up so much of your evening. Um, hopefully, it was a that pleasure. Was, yeah, I, I'm sorry the, the the video wasn't working as well. So you've you've. Uh, in a way, it's a blessing because you're not you, you've you've been able to avoid looking at me sort of. Um, in fact, you've, yeah, you've avoided looking at me kind of dancing. Around, except you've seen it on YouTube, so actually you you have seen me kind of dancing around manically. Um, uh, thank you to Dr. David Turner for sending me some nice beer, by the way, which I've been drinking this evening. And Spack and Hob, Dave, highly recommended. Um, I don't know where you have you didn't have a chance to drink any wine, Ivana. I was wondering if you would uh, be getting involved in in having a, a tipple this evening. But oh, there, just some water. I have a glass of wonderful fresh water. <laughs> The, the responsible choice, the responsible choice. Um, everyone who's been joining us in the chat, thank you so much. Come over to the Discord for a bit more. Lots of thanks to you, Ivana, in the uh, in the chat as well. Ivana, it's been a pleasure. And maybe we'll have, once High Speed 2 starts working, maybe maybe, maybe we'll go and um, we'll have a follow-up chat and sort of can see how things are going. And, and um, yeah, fingers crossed, it's only the start. We're going to see a, a growth of, of, of uh, slab track across the UK and beyond. In any case, um, cheerio, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for watching, Ivana. Cheerio. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.